0: I'm the host of this podcast, but I never really wanted to be a podcast about me. It's why it's not called The Sean King Show, but The Breakdown with Sean King. But today is one of those days where I have to answer some questions and talk to you all about several things that people are saying about me in a week that I thought was going to be pretty amazing. And it's turned out to be pretty tough. And so today I'm going to unpack and explain many different questions that people have about all of the fundraising that i've done over all the years i'm actually proud of it like without hesitation or reservation i'm completely proud of all the things that i've done over the past five years in this movement Uh, there's probably nothing that i'm more proud of than all the fundraising that i've done but you all have asked some tough questions and i'm going to give you honest clear thorough answers and uh, this podcast will just exist in perpetuity and we'll be able to point people back to it all right This is Sean King, and you are listening to The the Breakdown. The the Breakdown. The, 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 The Breakdown. Of all the things that I've done in my life as an activist and organizer, I think the fundraising that I've done for families and causes and charities and people affected by not just police brutality, but natural disasters or or racism or white supremacy or uh, people who've had their homes burned down or lost their loved ones. I think of all the things that I've done over these past few years, few have given me the, the satisfaction of knowing that I've been able to raise money for people who are often at the lowest point of their lives. And every time I've done it, I've always been asked to do it. I'm, I'm not volunteering to go out there and help people raise money. People come to me and ask me if I can do it. And over the years, I've, I've been raising money for charities and causes and people for almost 20 years, I think. When people ask, I'm glad to do it because I know how to do it. And fundraising requires a certain persistence. Like when I believe in something, I will ask everybody I know. I'll email everybody I know. I have an email list that I've literally been working on since 1999. (laughs) No, I don't mean that as an exaggeration. Literally, I've been building my email list since 1999. And so many people have literally given to projects that I've worked on behalf of for two decades. And so I have a dedicated base of very generous donors. And when people come to me in need, I know that if I go to these donors and supporters and people who may admire me or respect me for different reasons, I know that people are going to give. And and when I look at everything that I have done just over these past five years of the Black Lives Matter movement, it, it's sometimes hard to point to clear victories. Now, I've pivoted and changed some where now we lead our organization, Real Justice, and We've helped elect new district attorneys all over the country. But I know for many families that I've fought for across the years, I know that when we raise this money, it will give them relief. It'll give them the support they need often to be able to take the time off of work that they need to pay off bills that they otherwise wouldn't be able to pay. And I'm able to look back at this and just know, yeah, I helped do this. And so these next questions, I answer all of them and I'll, I'll be thorough and specific. Um, these next questions I do, uh, really with very little regret. I mean, I, I think, I don't, I don't think there's anybody that I, as I think back, I don't think there's any cause that I've raised funds for that I regretted. There've been some that have been really difficult, but I have no regrets on, on doing this. And so, Let's, let's dive in. There are probably about seven questions that people have asked me over and over again. And uh, I'm just going to break down the answers and get real specific. All right. Question number one. The first question is, how much money have I raised? And it would seem like that is an easy question to answer But we have to give an estimate in in some ways because over the years when people ask me to raise money, they are literally just sending me a link and saying, can you share this link? Over and over again, when you see me raising money for causes, it is never something that I have access to or that I I am guiding a family on, here's how you should spend your money. Like, all they do is send me a link and I get to work. And I have found it difficult to track down over the years. Uh, I've literally written hundreds of thousands of tweets and 100,000 Facebook posts and i <clears> have <throat> sent out emails on different email systems that I now no longer use. And so it's difficult to track down. But me and a small team of people that I work with, we think we have an estimate for how much money I have raised at least since 2014. And this is this is just money... For families, charities and causes, this doesn't count any of the money that I've raised for political campaigns, which may be even more than I've raised uh, for these charities and causes. So I know since 2014 that I have raised over 10 million dollars for families, charities and causes. And of that 10 million dollars, I literally received nothing. Never. Not a penny not a nickel, not a dime, not a favor, not a t-shirt, li- literally not uh not a hookup, not a job, not uh not any credit. Sometimes families have even asked to to give me some type of public credit or public award and I have shied away from that. And uh of the 10 million dollars that I've raised, that's for nearly a hundred different families, charities, and causes, where I was asked to come in and help, and support those families, and um, now there are several other questions that I'll that I'll answer, and that I'm I'm itching to answer. So I'll get to those other questions. But the first question is, how much money have I raised? And it's right around ten million dollars. If I scroll down and look at the spreadsheet that we've created uh the last figure that we had was was literally 10 million and 1000 dollars and 83 cents and so um i'm proud of it i i look at each one of those and i i literally forgot most of these each one came to me at a different season of my own life during these 5 years where i've raised all this money I've always worked literally two or three other jobs and, and I'm always doing this fundraising, not as a job or as a career, but just literally in my spare time on my, on my breaks. Or sometimes I'm stealing time away from one job to be able to advocate for these families. But it's over $10 million and my guess is there are probably 15 or 20 fundraisers that people have sent me links to that I've supported that we just haven't been able to track down, but over $10 that we could track down. All right, let me get to the next question. Question number two. Uh, The next question is this, and, and I understand this question. It says, why didn't I issue the report on my fundraising that I said I was going to issue? A few months ago, gosh, it's actually, I think, all the way back in January now, People were saying the same things. They always say that I'm stealing money from families, that I'm holding on to money from families. And again, that's literally never happened. When I raise money for families, it has never gone into any account that I touch or manage or have access to. I don't even have the usernames and passwords for these GoFundMes or any other platforms that they use. They're not tied to any bank accounts of mine, of charities that I manage. They're normally managed by the attorneys for these families or sometimes by the families themselves. But I found something really horrible that happens. And there are two reasons. One is personal and one is for the families. I'll get to the personal one first because I don't want to think, I don't want you to think that it's just for the other reason. But we hired a crisis communications firm. This was back in January when people were saying, the question back in January is, why did Sean raise money for this young black woman who was in jail at the time in Tennessee for, she was convicted of murder? why did Sean raise this money for Centoia Brown and keep it? And it went viral. I mean, it was shared tens of thousands of times all over the internet, on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. Journalists were writing about it and media people were speaking out about it. Like, why did Sean King raise this money for this family and refuse to give it to them? And I literally never even knew that Centoia Brown had a fundraiser. It never happened. I didn't share the link. I didn't know there was a link. I had nothing to do with it. I had spoke out a few times like saying, yes, we need justice for Cyntoia Brown. She needs to be released. She needs clemency. Like a million people did that. And that was really what I did. And I still to this day have no idea where that lie came from originally, who made it up originally. A young activist in Atlanta was the first person that I saw tweeting it. But from there, it, it went viral. And to this day, people still ask me about it. And I have multiple stories. I've had a, a, a young black woman here in New York who came up to me on the street and was furious, wanting to know why in the world I would ever keep money for Santoya Brown. I had uh, uh, two different incidents at speaking engagements in January and February of this past year where people were legitimately boiling with anger wanting to know why I raised money for Santoya Brown and wouldn't give it to their family. And even when I told them, when I told the young woman here in New York, when I told the young man at, a, at a, an engagement, I think was in January, and a young woman in February, hey, I actually didn't even raise that money. They refused to believe it. Because people that said I did raise it, they thought they were credible. And it was so many people saying that I raised it that they couldn't believe that dozens and dozens and dozens of people were wrong, and that thousands of people who shared it were wrong. They just refused to accept it, and they just thought I was lying. And we hired this crisis communications firm, and they told me something that was true that anytime I mentioned this stuff, mentioned, hey, people are lying about fundraising that I'm doing, that it doesn't make it better for me, but that it actually, and this may sound complicated. It makes it worse because the truth is that even though thousands and thousands of people are saying this about me and that's awful, that when I say it now, millions of people see it and they then get to choose whether or not they believe me or not. And I introduce this issue to millions of people and I'd already said, hey, we're going to issue this report on the fundraising because I'm I'm proud of the, the fundraising that we've done. And really, the crisis communications firm just said, we believe that if we just let this die down and pass away, that that's the best thing for you on this. And for several months, it really was. Until we started Flip the Senate, and that was two Mondays ago, and until Rihanna announced that she was going to give me an award at her Diamond Ball. And in both instances, when we announced this campaign to Flip the Senate, people were saying, that's a fraud. That's that's Sean is scamming you, Sean is stealing that money. And what people didn't know, and what they one, there is not a person on earth who could actually say our campaign to flip the Senate is a fraud or a scam or a grift, which is a word that I had never even used before. No one actually knew that because it's not true. And what no one knew was that months ago, when we were even considering this campaign, and consulted our attorneys and all of that, that we had made the decision months ago that I would never be paid from any of the work for for flipping the Senate. That Flip the Senate campaign, and we have nearly 15 different employees. I'm not one of them. I have literally never received a nickel, a dime, or any benefit. All of that work that I do on that Flip the Senate campaign is for the love, because I want to flip the Senate. We need to flip the Senate. And everybody else who is working around the clock on our staff, its one of the most gifted staffs that I, I have ever been a part of, they are all paid and I am not. And that wasn't in response to this. It was because when we looked at the legality of it, we said, hey, as a paid journalist, let's not be paid for this work that I will then advocate in my journalism. I'm not paid. I'm not paid to do that work. Other people are, but I'm not. And so when people started saying two Mondays ago, Sean is stealing this money. Sean is keeping this money for himself. This is a way for Sean to get rich. I literally have other means of employment. My my wife is employed. I'm employed. We both have bachelor's and master's degrees and have worked hard for where we are in life, and I'm not paid for this work. And yet people said it as if it was fact. And then when Rihanna... Uh, in said that she was giving me this award at the Diamond Ball, not just for the work that I've done in in electing district attorneys or advocating on behalf of families, but also working behind the scenes with her foundation. Again, people said, this guy is a scammer. He's a fraud. He's a phony. He steals from families. He raises money for causes that he keeps for himself. And, And so, you know, that original idea of never releasing the report It actually worked for about eight months. So from January all the way to August, not releasing the report seemed to help the issue of me stealing money from families or causes or charities or businesses or anything else. It seemed to help the matter until it came right back up. And then the second reason we never released that report was something weird happens. And again, this is... You've probably heard me share this lesson now a few times. We're not just responsible for what we intend to do, our intentions. We're also responsible for our impact. And when people say, Sean has stolen money from the family of Mike Brown or the family of Tamir Rice or the family of Eric Garner or fill in the blank, what they don't know is that every time people say those lies, people contact those families over and over and over again. And I mean white supremacists, I mean ultra-conservatives, I mean conservative media outlets, I now mean uh, activists and organizers who think they are helping these families to say, hey, let me help you get to the bottom of Sean King taking this money from your family. And the families are grieved by it. Not only does it waste their time, but you have to understand it takes them back to a painful place. And to waste any of their time on this is an abomination. Like I never asked these families for anything. And so that people are in the name of getting justice are going to any of these families and bothering them over and over and over again, when they have all already made statements saying, no, that never happened. I know this. We now have this internal report that we've built out. And I, I, I have a spreadsheet in front of me of all the funds that we've raised and for all the causes. I know that when we release this report with statements from the families and all of their attorneys, people are going to start bugging these families and harassing them saying, are you sure that Sean King did not take money from you? And here's the thing. What people fail to understand Is that if I kept a dime from any family, from any business, from any charity, any of them, from any political campaign, anything that was meant for them, if I kept a penny, it's not just shady. It's not just foul. It's criminal. I would be committing a crime over and, and according to people, over and over and over again. Like it's never happened. And if it did happen once, I would be in jail. Like that's, that is the bottom line. Here in New York, where I'm not friends with the governor in the United States of America, where I'm not friends with the president or the attorney general like that's that's the truth of the matter. I don't get a special hookup for scams and frauds where I do them and just never pay the price. And so we are going to release a report. We're building it now, like putting it in a slick format that people can read. We're building a website for it as well. And I hate that. I hate to have to do it because most of these families literally spoke out in 2014, in 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018, and 2019, and it's going to subject them to further scrutiny. And here's what I know. Even after we issue this report and and a website, what I know is that people still won't be happy, that they will still say, but I don't know if we believe it. I don't know if this is everything. I don't know if every dollar is on here. Because their problem really isn't actually with my fundraising. Because nobody who I've raised funds for ever is saying anything about this. Their problem is with me. And so the problem they have with me, they'll still have after we release the report. And I've just had to come to grips with that. So that's why we never issued the report originally. But we are going to issue it anyway. Question number The next question, it's not funny, but in some ways it does make me snicker a little bit. Uh, the next question is, where did all that damn money go? <laughs> where did all that damn money go that I raised? And I'll spend a few minutes uh, trying to answer that. First, again, when I raise money for families, I don't raise it with stipulations. When I raise money even for a cause or a charity or a political campaign or anything, when I raise money... I don't then dictate, but you better do such and such with it. Or hey, send me those receipts. Like that's not my business. If we raise money for uh, a family to be able to bury their loved ones, I don't I don't then follow up with it. Like what they do with that is up to them. I don't have the time, the energy, or really the desire to police what families do with the money we raise for them when families have been impacted by police violence or white supremacy or bigotry or their houses burned down or they lost everything in a flood or a natural disaster. We raise the money for them. People send us the links. We raise the money and, and let them do with it what they need to do with it. I trust their decisions. And if a family happens, like I I don't, I don't have a story in mind, but if we raise money for a family and they spend it on something uh, frivolous or weird or whatever, that's on them. Like I, that's their decision. Everybody does something different with their money. You've misspent your money. I've misspent money, and my business is not to train them financially. I, I normally when I work with families, am normally contacted by their attorneys, and it's normally attorneys that I trust and believe in. And those attorneys often guide the families to, you know, on how how to spend the money in ways that will help them and and give them the support that they need. But when you ask. Where did all the damn money go? I think again that there is some suggestion there that I had the 10 million dollars that I've raised over the past 5 years that I've ever had it and I never have ever period. There is and there's nobody saying so. There is not a family saying Sean raised money for my family and never gave it to me. There is not a dollar in my possession and never and there never has been And there never will be like I am smart enough to know that that's not the best way to do it. Uh, I'm going to pull up and tell you just some of the people that we've helped across the years. Let me pull up an example. Um, We raised two hundred and eighty thousand dollars for the family of Mike Brown after Mike Brown was murdered. We raised money for Trayvon Martin. That actually goes all the way back to 2013 when Trayvon was murdered. We raised money for the family of Tamir Rice. Three different times we raised money for the family of Tamir Rice. There was a young brother in Oklahoma who was murdered by a security guard named Monroe Bird. We raised $35,000 for his family. There was a young brother in Florida who was murdered by police. We raised $10,520 for his family. There was a young brother, I think, in, in Ohio, I believe, that was shot by police, a, a child. Named Radaz Hearns, we raised $11,853. Do you remember that young sister who was in class in South Carolina and a police officer assaulted her in the classroom and literally grabbed her while she was in the desk and threw her across the room? We raised $45,792 for that young woman. a, A girl. When Bree Newsome climbed the flagpole and took down the Confederate flag, we raised $125,705 for her. Um, there were multiple charities in Ferguson that we raised money for. There was a sister named Marissa Alexander, who you may recall was incarcerated after she shot an abusive family member, her husband or a strange husband, I believe. And we raised $61,733.83 for her to help her get back on her feet when she was finally released. Alton Sterling, who was uh, murdered in Baton Rouge, I worked with uh, Issa Rae and uh, the family of Alton Sterling, and we raised for his children in in a trust fund, and for all of them, we raised $714,609. There were some people um, whose home burned down, and right now I'm I'm looking at it. It says the Crosby Fire Victims, we raised $6,395. We raised for activists and organizers and indigenous people in Standing Rock $378,402. For a martial arts program for black boys in Detroit, we raised $79,936. I could go on and on and on. That's where the money went. That's where all the damn money went. I mean that I am maybe 15% through the list. I see on here Terrence Crutcher, who was murdered by police again in Oklahoma, which is now currently the worst place for police violence in the United States. For the family of Terrence Crutcher and his twin sister Tiffany, is my friend. We raised $169,220. Um, I see Philando Castile here. And for Philando's family, we raised $188,341. There was a young child who was incarcerated on Rikers Island named Pedro Hernandez. And we raised $125,000 to pay his bail. Um, There was a young brother in uh, um, Virginia who was assaulted by white supremacists. And we raised. I'm talking about DeAndre Harris. We raised 166,045 for DeAndre Harris. I see Stephon Clark. I see Antoine Rose. I see Nia Wilson. All families impacted by police violence. I know these families. I see Botham Jean, who was murdered when a police officer literally just walked right into his home and shot and killed him in his own home. We raised 46,665 dollars. I'm speaking in September at the first foundation uh, uh, gala for the family of Botham Jean. I care about these families and, and still continue to care about them. And never, I have never talked about raising this money for any of these families. It's, it's I, didn't, I didn't raise it to get credit for raising it. But that's where all the money went. And when we add all of this up, it's over $10 million we raised. Um, over $750,000 uh, in partnership with the artist Vic Mensa for young people in Chicago. Um, we raised money for a young, young brother who was a student at Morehouse for his scholarship. There was a sister who was murdered by police in Seattle named Charlena Lyles. We raised $117,525. And each time we did this, and I mean, there are things that, We raised money so somebody could buy back some uh, newspapers from the Black Panthers. We raised $4,070 for that. I didn't buy them. It was for someone else's project. Uh, Over and over and over again, we raised this money to to help people who were in need. Um, There was a veteran who needed help upgrading something in his home. We raised $3,671. Over and over again we did this out of love for love. There was a sister who you may re- you may recall her name is Crystal Mason and Crystal all she did was vote. She was a a someone who served her time on a previous conviction. And after she was released, her voting rights were not restored. And she went to vote, not with someone else's name not with someone else's identity or driver's license, just in her name, in her precinct. And she was told by the people there that she could vote and that she was, uh, she was able to vote. And she voted and got sent to prison for it. We raised $46,634 for Crystal Mason. There was a teenage girl named Hannah Williams just this summer who was shot and killed by police in California. And to help her family, we raised $13,825. Over and over and over and over and over again, This is what I do. I love doing it. I'm proud of it. I don't have any hesitation or shame in doing it. And in each one of those instances, I never received a dime, never was told by anybody, hey, we'll support. If you do this, we'll do that. There were never any backdoor deals. Just did it for the love. And then I moved on. And whatever families did with this money is up to them. I hope it gave them some relief. Hell, I hope it gave them if it could, I hope something joyful happened. But I, don't, I truly don't care because it's not my business. These families all suffered something grievous that interrupted their lives, and uh, I'm proud to have supported all of them. But we'll release all of these numbers and all the links and statements from families and their attorneys. It's ridiculous to have to do it, but we'll do it anyway. Question number four. Mm. The next question is Has there ever been a fundraiser that I completely dropped the ball on? That's hard to say. Um, I do what I can for each of these fundraisers, and sometimes it depends on so many random variables. Sometimes a fundraiser takes off, and in that moment, it, could, it literally could come down to the time of year. It could come down to to where it happened, who the some incident happened to, what the tragedy was. And there's so many different random variables that come down to it. And I, I don't have it down to a science. I do it all the time, but sometimes things take off and sometimes they don't. Um, there have been times that I've worked with families and when I tell them that I will help them raise money that I think they think that means they'll be able to get all of the support they need. And I wish that was always true. Sometimes I raise money for families and uh, we raise a few thousand dollars and they may have needed 10,000, but we raised three. Uh, sometimes a family that, that is befallen by tragedy, they may hope that they could raise money for uh, a college fund for their children because their father was killed. Or there have been times where we raised funds for disaster victims, and they hope to raise enough money to buy a new house, and we we hardly raise enough money for a down payment, or and and so sometimes it is disappointing. There have been plenty of times where I knew that if I had more time, if I had that it, that if this was my job to raise money for families and charities and causes, I knew that I could do a whole lot better. Uh, there have been times where I needed to raise money for political campaigns, particularly like the district attorney campaigns that we fight for. And for various reasons, I just couldn't get momentum going with it. I tried, and, uh, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Um, I, I There have been multiple times that I've raised money, and I didn't didn't really know the family well, but raised the money for them and then after the money is raised, there are, are disputes among the family on who the money goes to. And that's complicated. And I have nothing to do with that. I, I generally don't even mediate it because there's I'm not a mediator and I'm not an attorney. And I generally leave that work to the attorneys and families for them to figure out. But it happens. And and so, yeah, I mean, many times I've raised money and after the fact, it's like, ah, this is this is difficult for the family. Ultimately they'll have the support, but um sometimes families do have difficulties figuring it out because many times when their loved one, particularly if their loved one is killed or murdered, it happens so suddenly. Sometimes, like imagine if it's a if it's a young man or woman who's killed, they, families haven't worked this out. Like they hadn't they never thought this was going to happen. And so, um, No, I wouldn't say, you know, there's a fundraiser that I've just dropped the ball on, but many times it got complicated for families, and I always hate to see that. This next one is complicated, and I see people saying this literally this morning on my Instagram page. Why don't I sue or file lawsuits, defamation lawsuits, against the people who say this? And here's why it's complicated. That is what I decided to do this past January. There were multiple people who had posted complete fabrications about me. And I formed a team of nearly 25 different people. Activists, organizers, uh, um, um, friends, family, attorneys. And we looked at the things that were complete fabrications. Saying you hate me, that's, that's your opinion. Saying you don't like the way I did something, that's, not a, that, that's your opinion. I'm talking about someone saying, Sean King stole money from the family of Santoya Brown. Or Sean King is keeping money from families. Sean King is keeping money for, from causes. Any of those types of things are complete fabrications. Sean King plagiarized this article from this person. Never happened, ever, period. Not once, ever. And so when I see these things and then I just say on social media, no, that's not true. Well, people expect me to say that. I mean, what would I say? Yes, I did take money from this family. And and so if I did, of course, I wouldn't say that. And so we got a team of people together. And it was universal where we said, yes, let's let's file lawsuits. And I would say. Of the 25 people in the group, 20 different people chimed in. And I'm talking about primarily black men and women, organizers from the movement and others said, it's crossed the point where we should consult attorneys and move forward. And so I assembled a team of four black attorneys, respected in different fields, and we talked about how we should do it. And one by one, we just had a list of all of the complete fabrications that had been issued and just said, yeah, let's go down the list one by one and not file lawsuits. Let's just first ask them to please retract your false statement. It is damaging. It is a lie. It is a fabrication. Please retract it and issue some type of statement. We didn't say it had to be beautiful or friendly or anything like that. Just issue a statement saying, I want to say that this thing that I previously said turned out to not be true. We didn't even say you needed to apologize. Just issue a public statement on the retraction that deleting it is not enough because at this point, screenshots of it exist and it just keeps getting shared and shared and shared. Well, people refused. And not only did they refuse, they then said that this was my attempt to silence and target Black people, black women, this is me um, being problematic. And it blew up. And most people on Twitter responded negatively to me, threatening to potentially file a lawsuit. We never filed lawsuits. We just said, please retract it and please issue a statement on the retraction. And then it said, if you don't, we will proceed legally. And people, you know, took screenshots of those things and said, hey, I was just asking questions. Well, when you say, hey, when are you going to give that money back to Centoia Brown? You're saying I have money from Centoia Brown. It's not a friendly question. And most of the things weren't questions anyway. They were statements. And and it got so messy so quick. It became a national trending topic that it made all of us say, well, hell, there has to be some method of recourse, but this is clearly not, not a method that's working. And, and so now, still, as someone posts a fabrication saying this is a scam, uh, this is a fraud, this is some shady thing to get Sean rich, any of these types of things that people say, complete fabrications that no one has any evidence or proof of because it doesn't exist. And that's why the civil court system exists. You file lawsuits not to send people to jail. I have no interest in that. My only interest is to get somebody to issue a public retraction. I'm not, I'm not seeking monetary damage, although it has done significant monetary damage Not just to my life, but to the causes and other people that I fight for and fundraise for. Now when I fundraise for a family, people literally are saying, don't give to this. Sean's going to steal the money. Which was the original intent of this lie when it was first said by white supremacists. But now it has hopped the fence and become popular in other circles to say I'm doing this. And so it's difficult. I mean, I feel in some ways... Like I am in a corner where if I file a lawsuit, people say that I am problematic. And uh, even if I have just attorneys involved, but when I contact people directly, they don't want to deal with it. And so it's a tricky position to be in, for sure. Question number six. It's another question that n- nobody is normally asked but I am asked it regularly, and I think there's some assumption there that's just completely inaccurate. Am I rich? Well, there are many versions of it. Sean is getting rich off of these families. Sean is getting rich off of all of these fundraisers. We've already said it over and over and over again. I've received nothing, not not a fundraiser's fee, which is a thing. When you raise money for charities, when you're hired, people sometimes get 15 or 20%. I would never do that. Like, I literally, I fundraise for families as a hobby, like, in my spare time. It's what I love to do. The payoff for me is the reward of knowing that the family got some relief, some support. Am I rich? Hell no. Like, literally, I would be, I'm embarrassed to even say this, but, like, I would be ashamed for you to even look in my bank account. One, I have five kids. I live in New York City, which may be the most expensive place, not just to live, but to have a family with five kids. Uh, we didn't have these kids in New York. When we had our kids, we lived in the South and at that time never imagined that we would live in New York. When my family and I, just three years ago, when we moved to New York City, I I'd been working for the New York Daily News for a year. I was the senior justice writer there. And I agreed that after the first year of working remotely for the Daily News, I agreed that I would come and work in New York and work in the office. My editor-in-chief was a guy I love and and, and still know to this day. Jim Rich was really a mentor of me and brought me to the Daily News. Uh, We moved into a one-bedroom apartment. And... I'm talking seven of us. Like I know we violated New York housing policies. I know we violated the, it was all we could afford. And at the time, my wife didn't yet have a teaching job, but she eventually, she's been a school teacher her entire life. And uh, she eventually got a teaching job. But even with her job and my job at the Daily News, we were struggling. It was, I mean, that's how hard it is to get by in this city. Taxes are higher here. And at that time, I think it was that one bedroom apartment may have been the most expensive home we'd ever had. Like that's how bad it is. And between what I was making and what she was making and our five kids, it was tough and it's still tough. Our oldest daughter is now in college and we're doing financial aid and, and student loans and things just like everybody else. Uh, You know, it's, We have another daughter who is now applying to college and getting ready. And I'm like, I'm like every other family. How the hell are we going to make it? And it's difficult. And I mean, we are literally, I confess, like we are paycheck to paycheck. I said publicly recently that uh, I didn't have health insurance. I, I literally just now my wife got health insurance at her job. But we went this period of time where we didn't have it and couldn't afford it. I'd left my full-time job at the Intercept and the health insurance that they were covering, I no longer had. And for me to pay it on my own was $2,300 a month. And I paid it for two months. And by the third month I couldn't afford it. And so we just didn't have health insurance. And I literally went to the doctor. I have several, I've had multiple spinal surgeries across the years. and I have several chronic injuries that continue to, plague me and cause pain. And I went to the doctor for an outpatient procedure and I had to pay for it out of pocket on a credit card. And and when families say, like, he's getting rich, oh, he's taking an extravagant vacation on money meant for families, a complete lie. Like, we will sometimes save up month after month after month after month to be able to sometimes just take two of us on a vacation not all seven of us and in that rare time that the seven of us can go we literally are often sometimes putting it on a credit card just so we can have a beautiful experience together and then pay it off for months on end uh, the work that I do is hard and it has strained and and put a lot of pressure on my family and so when we can get away we try to do it but no um uh, I can't afford to buy a home in New York City. The A remotely decent house is outrageously expensive here. I I I couldn't even begin to communicate for you how outrageously expensive it is today to try to buy a home in New York. And most of the people who buy homes now here are either rich or they bought it 25 years ago. And so we are literally working people. And not only does my wife work full time, but I work full time. I work multiple jobs now just to be able to make ends meet. And because I have always worked multiple jobs, uh, I can, I'm always able to raise money for families without ever thinking, oh, uh, I wish they would, I wish they'd pay me. I mean, it sounds ignorant even saying it, but because I've always been employed not just these past 5 years but my whole adult life when I do the work that I do I never expect anything in return and I you know I do the work that I do the work that I'm paid for and the work I'm not paid for I do because I love it but no we're not rich and at least in New York terms probably never will be it is hard to get ahead in this city for sure number seven, number seven, number seven final question is this, and this is a question that I get a lot and that my team gets a lot about me. Uh, the question says, Sean, you have so much going on that I can't keep track. How do you do the action pack, the North Star, the breakdown and flip the Senate and all those things all connected? How do I do all the work that I do and fight for families and fight against police brutality and uh, serve as the social justice voice on the Tom Jonah Morning Show, Uh, (laughs) and still write for The Intercept, and um, be a surrogate for political campaigns, and, and work with real justice. I do all of those things. One, I have several answers for that. My schedule is planned down to the minute. Every single day, all day, planned down to the minute. And currently, I have to wake up at about 5 a.m. every day just to do everything I do. And I work now most days from 5 a.m. to 7 p.m. That's, what is that? That is 14 hours a day, every day. And it requires me to work that much every day to do all of that. And if anything gets thrown off, it throws my whole schedule off. And so I work a lot and I work hard. I work efficiently. That's one thing. Uh, I also have amazing staffs and teams that I work with in every one of those places. On the Tom Joyner Morning Show, I'm on there every Tuesday and Thursday, and I literally just have to show up. The producers, the co hosts, and every, they do the hard work. I just show up. I have to prepare. But I just I am prepared and show up and do what I do, and the same thing is true. You know, right now I'm I'm recording the breakdown podcast. I'm in the studio for the breakdown, and after I record all of this, I'll send out the audio to our producer Willis and an entire team. Willis will do all of the production of the episode, but Lissandra, who is the associate producer on the podcast, helped me get to this point. Helped make sure I had the time for it help make sure I knew the material that I was going to cover. And then there's an entire team of people that upload it, do transcripts for it. I don't do any of that. And I just come in and record it the best I can. And, and this, the same is true for all of the work that I do. We have an amazing staff at the action pack, an amazing staff for flip the Senate and I you know I t- I say this about real justice and the action pack and all of those things. If certain people in all of those places left, it will fall apart. If I left, the work could still continue. I bring a lot of energy. I bring you know I bring my personality. I bring my following and my my expertise and things to the table. But so much of the hard day to day work uh, to make these things happen and real. Uh, so many people that you never see and know are doing that. And so uh, it's all for social good. And so in that thing, I'm in the same spirit every day, but um, it's hard work. And I'm, and then lastly, and I said this just a second ago, I love what I do, and that makes it not draining in that sense. All right. So, you know, I've tried to answer a lot of questions about my work, about the fundraising where where all the damn money goes, <laughs> and uh you're going to be hearing some more about it. We're going to kind of come at it from a more offensive uh perspective here in the weeks and months ahead, all right? I got to run, but I appreciate you. Love you, and thank you for your support. Take care, everybody. Break it down. Break it break, 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 break down. Break, break, break.